Hey guys, Lauren here. And before we start today's episode, I want you to think about how you would define an ideal YA fantasy. What elements would you put on that list? Well, I had the pleasure recently of reading New York Times bestselling author Julie Kagawa's newest book, Shadow of the Fox, which hit shelves today. And for me, it pretty much had everything I love in a good YA fantasy book. In today's podcast episode, I chat with Julie about how she created the incredible world and the characters of this story, including how she pulled from Japanese myth, how she was inspired by anime, and how she put all of her favorite elements into a book and blended them successfully. Stay tuned for that and much more. This is the Ink Feather Podcast. Also, we teamed up with her publisher, Harlequin Teen, to give away a copy of Shadow of the Fox. This giveaway goes until October 9th and is for North America only. Be sure to head over to inkfeatherbookreviews.com to enter. Hi, Julie. Hello. Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. I'm so thank happy you, to have you. you. It's lovely to be here. So we are here to talk about your newest book. It comes out this Tuesday. We're actually recording it a couple days early. It's October 2nd. It's called Shadow of the Fox. It's the new series and it's so good and I'm so grateful that you were able to squeeze in some time before you're hitting the road to to talk with us about this. Yes, thank you. Before we kind of dig into the meat of the book, uh, for those listening who maybe are fans of your other books and haven't picked this one up yet, what what's like a good summary in your words if you're giving the pitch to people who are like, oh, new book, what's it about? Um, it is a Japanese-inspired fantasy about a, a kitsune um, who is entrusted with a magical artifact that can cause, you know, great harm and, you know, disaster and world ending and, you know, as you do. <laughs> and she has to protect it and take it to a safe place, but runs into a ninja who is also looking for the scroll and he wants it for his daimyo and together they have to take the scroll to uh, the safe place while fighting demons and yokai and blood mages and everybody who wants the scroll's power for themselves. Wow that was way more descriptive than even I was going to go because there's so much in this book that's one of the things I was saying to Julie right before we logged on was there's there's so much meat in this book there's so many characters and it's a quest book but then there's all of this mythology and then there's all of these creepy things it's like you've got tons of elements in here it's got like I think everything that a good YA fantasy needs I think it has all of those things elemental magic everything I love it I'm like this book is the best ever it's so cool thank you it's so good thank Thank you. So when I was thinking about your your series, because I'm a fan of your other books too, at a glance, there you know the theme. There's kind of a theme at its core. So we have like the Fey books, a vampire book, we have dragon books. So would you define this one as like Kitsune, or would you define this one as like Japanese lore? How would you kind of define this the book, the theme of this book? I I would say that it is a. Uh, I I tried to write an anime. Is basically what it is. Um, <laughs> it's very anime in it's an anime in book form so if you like Inuyasha or Rurouni Kenshin or you know Yona of the Dawn um Fushigi Yugi any of those those were huge inspirations for writing this book um so yes it's it's basically an anime in book form what parts were you pulling from anime just the 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 over the top magic levels or that in all the weird creepy creatures yeah the kitsune is my favorite 
Japanese myth of all time. I love Kitsune, but I also like Oni and, you know, all the yokai and the the strange, you know, the over-the-top people that you meet <laughs> in anime as well. Um, so, yeah, that they, they all had uh, a part and they, they all, I drew inspiration for all of it, from all of it. I'm not caught up on all my anime, but I saw people losing their minds on Twitter comparing this book to <laughs> all the ones they were just like, oh, my God, like literally losing their minds over this. And I, it's one of my first notes was like, OK, we have to talk about this. I saw some manga equivalent as well, but uh, anime seemed to be the, the overriding factor here. And there's a lot of there's, you know, there's always the sort like the, the beautiful white haired swordsman and the, the guy with the purple eyes, yes. and, you know, it's so, <laughs> so there's great. a lot of homage it pays homage to a lot of the anime tropes <laughs> it really is great and i won't lie but my, my i mean i know this is we can get in arguments it's technically not anime but like avatar the last airbender is my favorite <laughs> tv show of all times i was getting some zuko vibes from our one of our main characters too it was kind of like this sort of tortured soul who's getting a soul and is has this like conflict of of purpose <laughs> also very trippy and i mean you find that guy in any like lots of anime that you come across it's the you know cold heartless emotionless you know beautiful boy <laughs> he is beautiful boy he also has no soul but he's but it's it's growing slowly it's like the grinch <laughs> so let's talk about our two main characters we have tatsumi's the boy we were just talking about and yumiko who is our half kitsune girl slash uh, savior of the scroll i guess <laughs> they, it is literally like opposites attract and they're they're on this if they form this kind of unlikely alliance to essentially protect the scroll even though tatsumi doesn't really know what is happening <laughs> in reality <laughs> at first how was that writing being able to banter and bounce the their their very polar opposite personalities against each other and like to move the story along what was that like for you it was a lot of fun i i adore the uh the cold emotionless you know boy with the sword I kind of had that with, you know, Ash and the Iron Fae. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a lot of fun just to kind of make one really bouncy and, and mischievous and, and the other just cold and emotionless and duty bound. And it was fun to, you know, just play them off each other. Wow. And it's really fun to see as the story progresses, because you alternate chapters between mainly them and also a few other side characters as well. You get in like how, how she gets into his head. I really like that along the way, how she'll say things just being her innocent, beautiful self. And it's like something he kind of broods over and chews on um, as his soul's kind of evolving with that. He's, he's quite the broody guy. He, he broods a lot. Um, can we talk about his <laughs> weapon, too? Uh, part of why I think he's so broody, hello, is he has like a demon-possessed sword <laughs> that he's constantly fighting against. Talk to me about this weapon, because it's it glows purple, his eyes go glowy, he's got a demon in his head. It's, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, well, the, his sword is possessed by a, an ancient oni named Hakimono. And Hakimono was trapped in the sword ages ago and he's this ancient powerful oni and he feeds on emotions and the reason why tatsumi has to keep his emotions in check is emotions like anger and rage and grief and all of these as it allows it would allow hakimono to kind of take over him and if he takes over him bad things happen mm -hmm. so he 
kind of has to close himself off. He's been taught from a very young age not to show emotion, not to to uh, feel anything, and that's why he is the way he is right now. And you, I mean, that they kind of creates a good conflict internally for him um, that I think actually counters Yumiko's internal conflict as well with because she's half Kitsune. So she's like, unless you know to look for it, unless you can see through at a glance to a normal person, she looks like a normal girl, but in a reflection, you can see her ears and her tail and she has that ability to pull that magic. But again, she's constantly, it's kind of the same thing warring within herself of, you know, which side do I choose, the human side, the fox side, the the good side, or what is, she's been told has been bad, but is it really bad, and how she navigates that. Can you go into maybe a little bit about how she, that evolved for her as a character? Um, well, with Yumeko, I, I drew from, uh, I tried to draw from traditional uh, Japanese myth on the kitsune. When a fox changes into a human, uh, the ki- the ki- Japanese kitsune can change their form. And when they change into a human, they look human. But if, you know, in a reflection, you can kind of see, you know, ears and a tail and you know, you know, that's, that's how you know they're a fox. And in Japanese legend, they, the kitsune were often portrayed as seductresses or they would they actually can they could possess a person and they were not the nice some some of them were not very nice and some of them were very evil Hmm. but they were all all of the kitsune had this mischievous amoral side because they're you know they're foxes they're not humans so yumeko being half kitsune she struggles with you know what the monks taught her. The monks taught her to try to be to be a good human and to hang on to her humanity. But there's always this fox side, this mischievous side that's you know urging her to you know play tricks and you know to give in to her yokai nature. So she's constantly trying to balance that. And sometimes she you know will play the occasional prank and it gets her into trouble. <laughs> but she's really she's really good hearted. She's very good natured at heart. And she's a good one-liner comic relief throughout the book that kept cracking me up and she'll be like you know sometimes you take it too far and then all of a sudden there's a monkey in the prayer room and I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) just like these random things and she speculates or she's like what did she say about the one they encountered a a guy and they were like are you going to tie him up to a tree and hang sweet potatoes from his ears so the squirrels will eat him and I'm like and the guy was like uh you know, Tatsumi was like, no. And she's like, okay, because that would be kind of funny, but weird too. I mean, lots of her, you can tell her, her, the way she thinks just has this lightness and this levity, even if she's still struggling internally occasionally with her identity. I wanted to make her fairly naive to the world. Like, she has some great encounters with one of the other characters, uh, Okame, the Ronin. She doesn't understand sarcasm, and he's always sarcastic, so he'll say something sarcastic, Mm. and she'll just not get it, and then he has to kind of explain. Um, So I I just wanted to make her very new to the world. She's never been outside her temple, and then when she gets thrust into this adventure, everything is new and exciting, and I, I just wanted to kind of portray that innocence and wonder for her. But it comes across not only in her, you know, experiences being naive, but just the way she views the world is, is it, it's almost unexpectedly beautiful to the characters who are more bitter about life, I guess. 
Um, and that's one of my favorite things about reading about her characters. She, she kept having these small encounters, these beautiful experiences, and just like looking at the birds singing or gasping at the new cities and, you know, these these experiences that we, it's like the stop and smell the roses kind of thing that, you know, the people with her were able to kind of, I don't know, see things in a new way or at least consider like, wow, what is she, you know, how is she able to now, see things like that? Yeah, Tatsumi and even Okame, well, both of them are quite, you know, they're a bit jaded. Um, yes. <laughs> and so just her being so lighthearted and, and carefree, I, I kind of wanted to make it because she is that way. She kind of draws people to her. And that's how she was able to pick up, you know, her companions. Mm-hmm. Um, they just weren't expecting that. She's just kind of this little bit of a light in yes. the darkness. And they just kind of, yes, keep coming. I, I come along with me. And yeah, it's it's actually kind of funny because Tatsumi's like, no, um, I don't even want to be here. And why are you these people like, what is happening? Yeah, it made me laugh, too. I wanted to ask you to I because this is a quest book uh, among obviously their internal struggles as characters and, and the 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 journey of they go on individually. You know, essentially, they're taking the scroll. This scroll is a magical scroll that if the bad guys get it, bad things will happen. It has magical stuff on it. Um, I'm not trying not to get too specific here. (laughs) And so they're taking it to a secret temple where it will hopefully be safe. She's taking it. He's looking for it, thinking it's at the temple. So (laughs) doesn't know she has it. Yeah. Might have told him a tiny bit of a lie. um, Yeah. That it was already there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not knowing that it was actually like two feet away from him the entire time. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, encountering the things they experience along the way, you have these great mixes with elemental magic. You have really cool, like you said, the Japanese lore. How did you kind of decide where to pull uh, you know, were you just like everything cool that I love or in like, where does the lore end and your kind of vision begin for the story with all the magic? It's, it's a lot of what I love and um, like just what I thought would be cool. Okay. So I knew that hopefully not spoiler, um, <laughs> but they, they went into a village, you know, as they were traveling and there was something off about this village. And I was like, okay, what could be off about this village? What could be, just kind of creepy what are these people hiding and it Mm. came to me and I shouldn't I probably shouldn't tell you what they actually found there but you know it was creepy and I I wanted to make it a little bit you know kind of scary and a little bit freaky um, because I find Japanese myth absolutely fascinating and some of it a little bit scary as well so basically you were like okay as the story was progressing just pulling these different elements as you were kind of the story and they kind of went hand in hand it sounds like mm-hmm. yeah and I wanted of course I wanted to include my favorites um like the kitsune was obviously my favorite but I also love the tanuki and the kami itachi and, and yeah. those are all really cool to me as well yeah there for those of you listening at one part there's like multiple battles with ferrets with blades on their arms that run around as fast as the wind and like slice at you and I was like what is happening here like they're flying ferrets with blades on their arms like, I didn't know that this was a thing and I was I, I mean, a thing. it is a thing but they're kind you of terrifying it. oh my gosh I literally was like oh my god it's not holding a blade it is a blade it is a blade on its arm it's like a red-eyed glowing ferret that's trying to kill me like <laughs> but it was... they also fly they fly on the wind oh my so... gosh I mean as funny as that sounds when she's like, okay, there's a ferret looking at me at the uh, across the street or whatever. It, yeah, they were kind of like frightening. Like I would not want to be 
messing with that thing. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and I tried to stay as close to the, the legend of the Kami Itachi as I could. In the legend, there are, you know, the legend of the Kami Itachi is, you know, there are always three. And they move too quickly to be seen. But if you're walking, you know, you get knocked down. So one knocks you down. One, you know, cuts you. And in some some myths, they actually cut your legs off. Oh, nice. And uh, <laughs> the third, you know, applies medicine to it. So you don't know that you've actually been, you know, fatally wounded, mortally wounded. And it happens so fast, it's like in a blink of an eye. Um, and that's the kind of the legend of the Kamatachi, which I found fascinating. And I kind of wanted to incorporate that into the book. Well, and it is creepy, like the thought that you could be mortally wounded and you have no idea and you're just walking along and all of a sudden the, you, you die, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know, like this, the thought of even like, um, you know, you obviously our characters kept their legs, but they <laughs> had these <laughs> potentially mortal, very dangerous wounds that weren't bleeding at first, but... Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting magic. And and like I said, the whole book is filled with these interesting elements and again, mixed in with with elemental magic as well, um, which is really cool because you have eight different element based clans mm -hmm. in this world. I mean, you went with the traditional four and then you pulled four more. Was that again, is that in lore or was that something you just kind of grew yourself? That is my own invention. Um there are the, the the four great clans, and then there are the the, the four minor clans. And I, I love elemental magic. Me too. And it just seemed appropriate to to have these clans um, represent the, each of the elements. And you know, you can so let's like let's take the fire clan. The fire clan, of course, is going to be hot headed and impulsive, and you know, wield destructive fire magic. Yeah. And the water clan are diplomatic and peaceful, and they you know have healing magic. And I love you know to have that elemental magic in play. And it was neat to even see because. Tatsume is from the Shadow Clan, so it's like, again, the most secretive clan, hence the name, but it's also kind of dark and kind of, again, mm -hmm. not necessarily creepy, but there's this element of mystery and in with an ominous kind of twist, and, and obviously he has the sword and all of that. It, it, it was a really neat kind of world to play in because um yeah you had these you were able to pull all these different parts i don't know it was as a reader who's a big fan of elemental magic and all of the different ways it can be expressed in a in a way that feels new and fresh it was really fun to experience it thank you and it was really neat to kind of play in the world where you didn't just limit the magic systems to the elemental magic because we have all of this other these other spirits we have gods and we have ghosts and we have our kitsune who is like a you know supernatural creature who and other animals that turn into other things and you know blending all of those parts together added uh, a, such a like a, a rich lush filled world i i don't even know what words i'm looking for just there's so much going on like literally every page it's like Ooh, what are they going to encounter next what cool thing like i couldn't put this book down i just kept having to read because it, it was around the next page around the next corner there's a demon bear or there's a <laughs> you know flying ferrets or there's you know a, a white-haired magic boy with a sword who saves the day like there's all this cool these these things that was i mean it was a really enjoyable reading experience because of that um that journey so yeah it was really neat that you pulled that in when you were first 
creating the elements of this book you said you formed it around the kitsune and like so you were you just like elemental magic japanese myth like pulling everything in that you possibly could or was it did it sort of evolve as you fleshed the book out more it sort of evolved as i fleshed the book out the the actual Japanese legends with the Kitsune and the Kameitachi and all of those are, I try to stay as close to the original legends as I could. Um, with the clans, I wanted a, you know, I wanted to do the elemental magic. So I, 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 I use the elements for, for each of the clans. Mm-hmm. Um, but even them, their, their magic users are called Kami touched and uh which they in in the book if you're kami touched um it means you're you've been chosen by a particular elemental kami and they've granted you this magic and that's how their their more powerful magic users come into being yeah i mean it was interesting again to see how that manifested in levels of of danger levels of hierarchy within the the clans themselves and what that means for for like even like politically as you did it as a, as they kind of uh, interacted with each other too so it was really neat to to see how you kind of I guess balanced all that. That's why I, I guess I'm kind of I don't want to say fi- fixating on this question, but I'm just fascinated by how you got all of these different complementary elements to blend so well. It works. They work really well together, and it's a, like I said, Thank there's you. a lot going on, but it it works really well. So what's what's up next for our characters here? You this is this is a series. Mm-hmm. It is. How many books do you know? How many books it's going to be? There's going. It's going to be a trilogy. So three of them. Okay. Um, are you working on the next book right now? or Yes, I am in edits for the next book. Uh, the next book, I can tell you the title if you would like to hear the title, if your readers would like to hear the title. <laughs> sure. Book two is called Soul of the Sword. Okay, cool. And I want to ask if you have you reached the end of of Shadow of the Fox. Have I personally? Yes. I have not. I'm like okay, maybe eighty five percent. I was like cramming before this. I'm literally finishing <laughs> it when I get over. Am I going to be like DMing you later tonight? Is that what's going to be happening? Well, you'll understand the title of Soul of the Sword immediately after you finish the first book. Well, okay. I I will. I have a, an inkling of where you might be going with this. I mean, and even the title Shadow of the Fox, I was like, oh, that's clever. Like, it took me a minute to, like, <laughs> counteractively reflect, like, oh, and it, like, it, it, yeah, it worked really well. Okay. So it, it's very relevant is what you're saying. Quite. Yes. <laughs> very, very relevant. <laughs> okay. Good to know. So that's great. These characters are great. This world is great. I'm glad that we're going to be able to continue the journey with these, with these guys. So have you had the chance to read anything? relatively recently like do you have any books to recommend i have not i've just been really just been writing hey (laughs) the only thing i have been reading is the words on my screen lately (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure your fans of your books are okay with that you know i always try to ask authors but i know half the time especially when you're in the middle of a series that that you are in the trenches but it is worth asking I do have one that I uh, I was actually uh, I picked it up when I was in New York um, visiting my publisher and it's a fellow Harlequin teen author. Uh, it's called When Elephants Fly. Okay. By Nancy Richards, I think. Okay. But the title's When Ele- When Elephants Fly. And it's not normally something that I would pick up because it's not fantasy. It's contemporary, but it's hmm. 
really, really nice. It's really cool. I really loved it. And I do recommend that one. Okay. That's a that's a great suggestion because I personally am a fantasy fan as well, but I know a lot of our listeners read across the board. So it's always good to get, you know, anything authors, like I said, recommend and connect with, it's always good to throw out to people. So, well, I wanted to just thank you for this little quick chat. I wanted to, you know, give people a teaser of this new world that you've created and this new series that you've created that is breathtaking and magical and we get to play in it and it's just so enjoyable such a pleasant read and thank you if you're a fan of anime or manga or japanese uh, legends um i think you would really enjoy it oh did you know that i'll just throw this out that that shadow of the fox was actually the first book i wrote and um it was actually the book that got me my agent oh a long time ago, before the Iron King, uh, before the Iron King, I had I was I had uh, tried to publish Shadow of the Fox. Okay. Back then, it was called Kitsune's Heart, and I finished it, and my agent loved it, and she tried to send it around, but nobody was taking Asian fantasy back then. <laughs> and after a year of trying to sell it, she said, "Hey, you know, you're going to have to write me something else." Um, we'll put this on the back burner for a little bit. So go re- go ahead and write me something else. Do you have any ideas? And I said, well, I have this idea about a girl whose brother is stolen by fairies and she has to go after him. What do you think of that? And she's like, yeah, go ahead and write that book. I think I can sell that. So I went and I wrote <laughs> The Iron King. <laughs> and then, you know, that kind of start- jump-started my career I was as like, an author. And your life exploded because yeah. <laughs> people loved it. <laughs> But I never really, you know, forgot that that first book uh, that I wrote. And after I finished the Talon series, I wanted to go back to it. It was written for it was first first it was written for a an adult fantasy audience. So I rewrote oh. it. I rewrote it for YA. And yeah, now I actually get to see it come out. And and it was my very first one, and I'm really proud of it. So oh my yeah. gosh, it's. <laughs> This is my current favorite of yours because it's just because you were saying to people, hey, if you like anime or Japanese myth, and I'm like, if you like fantasy, if you like a quest book, if you like elemental magic, um, the the fact that there is, you know, authentic Japanese myth pulled in, which is really cool that, you know, if that's not your thing, that's an added bonus because you get to have this cool magic and like, you know, fantasy experience. But yeah, I think fantasy fans across the board will really like this, like this book a lot. Was that, I mean, it must have been discouraging when you were first pitching that book, but like you, you were excited to return it, but were you ever burnt out on like revising it and having to return to it like years later or were, or was actually putting it on the back burner kind of a rejuvenating, excited experience when you were able to pull it back out? When I pulled it back out, I was, I just loved the the world and the the Japanese myth and I had been watching anime and I'm like oh I want to write an anime again so when I pulled it back out it wasn't a you know fix a few chapters here and there it was a complete overhaul a complete rewrite the only the the story and the plot were very similar and almost almost the same and the two characters Yumeko and Tatsumi were the same everything else changed Okay. So it was actually like re, like writing a whole different, like a, a brand new book. The reason I ask is, you know, I have a lot of writer friends who are also in the trenches right now, especially because they're, you know, aged in but haven't been published. And they're just mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm on my 100,000th rewrite. And 
you know, how do I, how do I still find joy in my story? But, you know, and like I, sometimes like I have a friend who last night even said to me, you know, sometimes you have to put something down and go to something else and Mm -hmm. it lets you enjoy it a little more. So here's a tip that my agent gave me when I was, when I first, when I finished the Iron King, um, it was intended to be a trilogy, but I, I left it so it could it could just be a standalone. And I wanted to immediately start book two while she was pitching book one. And she told me, don't start book two until I sell book one. Because if you write book two and book three and book one never sells, you're wasting your time. You wasted time, yeah. Yeah, so go put that down and go work on something different. Yeah, so that that was what my agent told me. Well, and that makes sense, too, just from a sanity point of view. Like, okay, I need a break from book A, so I'm going to work on series B or whatever. It gives you, like, a change up, and that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, that's a good good tip to remember. Just a quick tip. And again, that's not for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. You might want to you might want to write, you know, a five book series all the way through and that's cool as well. Crank it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Julie, <laughs> thank you for chatting with us about this book. Thank you for having me. I can't wait for people to experience it i've been seeing all of the pre-reviews of just people have been losing their minds over it i'm clearly one of them because i'm like this book is great you know (laughs) thank you (laughs) but it's been really fun seeing the buzz um on twitter especially you've been retweeting a lot of people's comments and like their little as their reading experience is going oh my gosh the scene or this this was funny or whatever so it's it's really cool that it's you're already connecting and engaging so i'm 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 I don't doubt once it hits the shelves, people are just going to like love it. So I'm, I'm really excited that we were able to kind of, you know, tease a little bit and get people excited about it. And, um, and for those of you listening, we'll be back soon with another awesome interview, hopefully next weekend. And this is Lauren and Julie saying bye. Bye. (laughs) 